0: And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others.
1: Good morning. We are thankful each one is here with us this morning. We'll be looking this morning at our second lesson coming from the book of Ephesians. Think about the phrase, if you will, you he made alive. No doubt that is exactly what Christ does for us. He takes us from the condemnation that's going to come due to sin It makes us alive through Him, and we obey His commands and obey His Word. This morning, I want to remind us of the importance of being made alive in Christ. We want to begin first by looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with this idea we find in verses 1 through 3 that we, or excuse me, who, were dead. That's what we find in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Those who were dead, as we're going to see here in just a moment from the text, are those who are spiritually dead because they're living in sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, looking at verses 1 and 2, here the Bible says, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. There is no life that can be had that is involving sin. Those who are outside the body of Christ do not have a spiritual life. We know there are those today who try to condone their actions or justify their actions by using words such as, well, they're good people, or I've known them for a long time, or, they have a good heart, and the list goes on and on. But if we look at Ephesians chapter 2, really if we look at the New Testament in general, we find that that idea is not enough to get someone into heaven. In Ephesians 2 verse 1 he says, "In you he made alive, you there being a reference to those who obey the gospel. He says, you... He made alive, who were past tense dead in trespasses. Before they obeyed the gospel, before they put on Christ in baptism, you'll notice some similarities from our class this morning. Before they did that, they were dead in their trespasses. Trespasses meaning they have gone against God's word. That's what a trespass is. Their trespasses and sins. He says in verse two, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. What he tells us there, reminds us there, is that the world lives this way. The world lives in darkness. The world lives in this life that is dead. It is spiritually dead because of trespasses and sins. He says, these individuals once walked according to the course of this world, according to the pattern, to the habit of this world. It is no secret our world is getting more mixed up by the day. But one thing that remains the same is the power of the gospel. God's word has never changed over the years. Man's translation of it sometimes has tried to, to turn those things into something else. But God's true word, the unchanged word, does not uh, does not has not changed from the very beginning. See, we find in verse two he says, In which he once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And the spirit who now works and the sons of disobedience. These individuals are those who have this spirit or this attitude of wanting to do those things which are in constant, which are in constant disagreement with God's Word. This idea of the prince of the power of the air just simply tells us, reminds us, who is in charge in the world of sin and darkness, the world of worldliness and greed and selfishness. Satan is the one who rules there. But in the hearts of those who obey the gospel, Christ is the one who reigns supreme. No doubt Satan has power over those who are living in sin, but it is still Christ who can bring them out of that. We all know, as we find in verse 3, that we all once conducted ourselves in similar ways. He says in verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. No one was born a Christian, so at some point we were outside the body of Christ. Some have this delusion that somehow that they, well, they've well they always been a Christian. No, you've been a Christian since you obeyed the gospel. No one's always been a Christian. Everyone at some point in their life has been in contradiction to God's word. And if we're honest, at times we still are. And we find in verse 3, it says, "...among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, but from the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others." By nature, it could be better understood as the idea of habit. Because they have lived among the world for so long, they, they have the habit of the world. That is, to live in a sinful way. We are not by nature sinful people. We talked about that this morning from Ecclesiastes, right? That God created what? All things upright. All created mankind upright. And so this nature he's talking about here is, it is our habit that when we're in the world, we live just like the world. Or when we are among the world, rather. And there is a stark difference between living in the world and being, uh, you know, being among the world and being of the world. Being of the world means you live just like they do. You are of the world. But if you live among them, you don't have to be like them. Remember the righteous Lot, as he's referred to as in the New Testament, who lived among those wicked people? Not a good place for him to be. But he was still referred to as a righteous Lot. The Bible says he tortured his soul day and night by living among those wicked people. he was among them, but he certainly wasn't one of them. There is a difference. And we have to realize that even though we live in this world today that is more confused than we could possibly imagine, we can still live among them as lights for Christ. That's what we find from Christ's gospel, uh, his uh, lesson there on the Sermon on the Mount. We must realize that we must allow these things and cause these things to remain past. In verses one through three it's always mentioned as past tense, right? Who once did these things, he once walked as the course of the world, who once, as he says here in verse three, we're all he says we all once conduct ourselves in this way. Past tense. If we are a Christian, we must remember we must strive to keep those things in the past tense. It is possible to live like the world for so long as we find in verse three. But it becomes habit, but it must not be the, the habit of the Christian. We look at uh, verses 4 and following, we find that God's grace extends salvation to mankind. Remember, it is extended to mankind. It doesn't mean that all mankind gets to partake of it. But there are those as they say, well, God doesn't want anyone to go to No one goes to hell. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. But friends, he does all he can to prevent it. Doing all he can to prevent us from going to hell doesn't mean that no one goes to hell. Do you remember the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man was where Lazarus was? Now, the rich man wasn't in hell, but he wasn't in a place known as torment, which we know is a place which all the wicked will remain until the day of judgment, which will finally go to hell upon final judgment because no one goes there ahead of another. We all go to either heaven together or we all the all the wicked go to eternal damnation together. But God's grace is extended to, to mankind. Looking at Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse four, we find that God is rich in mercy, and that's putting it mildly, isn't it? You consider our world today and the wicked people that are in it, and God says I still want to save that person, that is a special kind of mercy. Because let's be honest, how many times have we been out somewhere and someone walked past us and we think, wow, that person has some problems. You know, God still wants that person to be saved. I'll be honest, I've done that before. We all know the different types of lifestyles people have chosen. And some of them you can see with your very eyes. You don't have to hear it. You don't have to hear them speak. You can see it. When you see see two men, if I can say it right, when you see two men holding hands, you don't hear them say anything. You know what's going on. When you see two women holding hands, you know what's going on. And you think what? This world is a messed up place. But we also have to be careful to remember that God wants those individuals to be saved. No doubt, repent... But he wants mercy extended to them as well. But comes in the form of first of their repentance. Looking at Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse four, he says, But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Know what that means? Even when we were dead in trespasses? Even when you're in that sinful, wicked state. He was he loved us. Even when we are dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He takes us and we obey the gospel. He takes us in a life of sin, a life of trespasses, and he makes us alive together with him. How? By our obedience and by his mercy and love for us. We are to be grateful and thankful, to say the least, for the mercy of God. Without God's mercy, man would be without hope. Look again at verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. John said the same thing back in John 3 verse 16, right? For God to love the world. Paul says the same thing. For he's rich, uh, he says because of his great love with which he loved us. The same idea. He loves us so much he doesn't want us to be separated from him. Which requires us coming out of our trespasses. He says, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What does that mean? You know, if he says by grace, it doesn't say by grace alone, right? No one in the Bible ever said by grace alone. But it's by what? Our obedience to God. that our, The grace of God is extended to us. And we get to take part and god's grace for us god loves mankind to put it mildly in, in a simple way but it doesn't mean mankind gets to go to heaven In john 3 and verse 16 the bible tells us that for all who you know everyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life everyone who believes in him should not perish should is what it means there's a condition in there that has to be met they shouldn't perish but people are going to in Ephesians 4, uh, 2, 4, and 5, the idea is the same. Just because God's grace is there doesn't mean you automatically get to have heaven as your home because, you know, grace alone saves. That's not what he just said. We have to do what? We have to leave those trespasses that we were living in, those sins, and come out of them. And when we do that, God's grace is able to save us when we put him on in baptism, Galatians 3:26 and 27. We are raised... To be, uh, to be brought in glory before God. We are raised to the glory of God. Look in Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 7. He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The riches of God, no doubt, include not only forgiveness, but heaven itself. Notice again verse 6. He raised us up together. Who is that? Now he's talking about the Christian. He raised us up together. He made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. We get to do what? Enjoy those spiritual blessings that are only in Christ. You'll back to Ephesians chapter 1, right? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Where are some of those exceeding riches of his grace? They have to include heaven. They have to include living this world behind is going to be destroyed. His, the riches of his, what, of his grace would also no doubt include the forgiveness of our sins, fellowship with God and with Christ and with all the faithful in the heavenly home. The riches of God's grace are those things which are given to us because of our obedient faithfulness to God and our continual obedient faithfulness to him. He says, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ. You notice how he says the phrase Christ several times? Verse 6, in Christ. Verse uh, 7, he says, also what? His grace in us and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We only get to enjoy those rich blessings. We only get to enjoy that grace from God when we are in Christ. When we are outside of Christ, we get to hear about it all day long. doesn't mean we get to enjoy it. The non-Christian, the one who has not obeyed the New Testament plan of salvation, the gospel of Christ, the one who has not done that, they can talk all day long they want to God. But their sins remain until they obey the gospel. They can cry out to God, like we read about there last week, in Hosea, we read about in previous times, those crying out to God, and so we'll talk about this evening those crying out to God in Joel. But those individuals, they had, in their case, they had been faithful to God, now they needed to come back. For the non-Christian, one who has never obeyed the gospel, you wants your sins forgiven, you want those things washed away. you want to be justified as if you have never sinned, we have to obey God's word. We have to obey the gospel, as we find it in the New Testament. Man is not saved by his own strength, as you find in verses 8 through 10. Man cannot save himself. I think in every, probably every type of magazine, or, or uh, not every type of magazine, but most magazines and things you have, things, areas in which people try to show you how you can do things yourself. We call it the DIY section, do it yourself. You go online, you type in DIY, there's all kinds of things that come up. You know that applies to everything but salvation? Do-it-yourself salvation, you can't do that. Now, maintaining salvation, that's quite different. We have to maintain our salvation, our faithfulness to God, but do-it-yourself, that means you don't include God. See, when you say do-it-yourself, it it means no no one else helps you. It's all you. That cannot apply to salvation. Because God's mercy, His grace, His forgiveness, His love has a huge part in it. There is no such thing as a DIY salvation. Looking at Ephesians 2, beginning here in verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that none of yourselves is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. What's he saying? You can't do it yourself. We cannot get to heaven doing things that we please. And it seems it doesn't matter what time you live in, who you're talking to, what age group you're talking to, there are always those who are saying, You know what? I don't care what that person says. I don't do it the way I think is best, and knowing it's going to change my mind. That person will never see heaven. Will never see heaven. You imagine if Saul thought that on the road to Damascus, you know what? I don't care what Christ is saying now, I'm never going to confess to him. What would happen? You could possibly have died on the road to Damascus if we're honest. He would have never saw heaven. If Peter or anyone else of the apostles had said, I'm not doing things that way, they wouldn't have been inspired men of God. And they wouldn't saw heaven either. Because any time that they erred, they had to come back, right? Even the apostle Peter got caught up in hypocrisy, and so did Barnabas as well. What happened? The Bible tells us that Paul withstood them to, his, withstood them to their face because they were to be blamed. They were doing things that were wrong. They, could, they couldn't alter certain aspects. They couldn't show hypocrisy and showing favoritism. And so what happened? They had to change we cannot go to heaven doing things our own way but there are those that you're going to die and never figure that out never figure that out for by grace you have been saved through faith in that not of yourselves we cannot do things in the traditional family way we do things in the bible way god says it and we follow it not of works lest anyone should boast you certainly cannot earn your way to heaven there are those, there are those who will say well You're saying baptism is a work, so you have to be baptized, so you're saying you can earn your way to heaven that way. No, Peter never said that. If baptism was a work that allowed you to be saved in that type of way, Peter would have never commanded it, because you can't earn your way to heaven. Nowhere is that found in Scripture, but it's only a last-ditch effort to try to get out of baptism. We are... God's workmanship, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He prepared what beforehand? How we should walk. Not who would walk, but how we should walk. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Them is the ways in which we are to walk. That is the way it's predetermined, not man who's going to be saved or not be saved. Some lessons for us today. We must remember. We must remember some very important things. I'm sure a lot of what we've talked about today, many of you have heard before, but it doesn't hurt to be reminded of it. Because there are some today who still do not grasp what we're talking about. Ephesians 2, looking at verses 11 and 12, we must remember from where we came if we are not to, if we are to avoid going there again if we want to keep going the path we're, we need to be on, we need to remember how far we've come you know those who exercise sometimes will take before and after pictures sometimes the only ones that get taken is the before one, the after one sometimes never shows up but the before one is what? This is where I used to be so that when you reach your goal you can say, "Look how far I've come." Now, for the Christian, there is no "I've reached my goal" mark, unless you're talking about heaven, because there is no finish line. Most tasks today have a completion point, but for the Christian, is what we can look back on our life and say, "I remember, you know, I see how, remember how far I've came and where I used to be. I'm never going back there again." That should be our mindset. We must remember from where we came if we are to know. Where we need to go. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, you are called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. Remember what? Where you came from. Those who wanted to, remember, wanted to bind circumcision, right? The Apostle Paul was one who say, would say that it doesn't avail anything. Man without God is without hope. Looking at verse 12, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, having what? No hope. Because they did not know God. And without God in the world, without God in their world, you might say. They did not know God. They had no hope. But now, as we look at verse 13, what does he say? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It is the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. It's so discouraging to hear people talk about how the blood of Christ, you know, will shift your sins and they'll turn right around and say, Well, you don't need to be baptized, even though that's when we come in contact with the blood of Christ. Right? Ephesians two thirteen. But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off and brought near by the blood of Christ. <clears throat> Those who are in Christ find salvation. Man is brought near to God through the blood of Christ because there is no other way. There's no other way to get to God. You know, they still have in some denominations... A little booth you can walk in behind a half-veiled curtain. You can tell someone what you've done wrong, and they would pray for you on their behalf. You know, the New Testament Christian does not need that. We want someone to pray on our behalf. We don't have to go to someone who's called a priest. We can go to their brother or sister in Christ and talk to them face to face. We do not need someone to pray to God for us, though so we are encouraged to do so. We're encouraged to share what Cheer, to bear one another's burdens, right? And have righteous the righteous man who prays, prays is what his his prayers avail much. But we too can pray to God alone, right? We too can bring our burdens to God. But man is only brought near to God by the blood of Christ. Without the blood of Christ, man can never be acceptable, can never be in an acceptable state before God. On the day of judgment, Only way we're going to be accepted by God is if we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. The Book of Revelation uses that term many times: the Lamb and the blood. How the saints have made their garments made white, having been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We too must make sure that we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. There is no one in this world that can save mankind. When I say no one, I mean any politician. Don't care who you're talking about, whether you love them or hate them, they can't save you. No matter what they promise in any speech, they cannot save you. And if you're talking about some school teacher or some high school teacher who thinks they have the answers, they can't save you either. Only by obedience to the Word of God are we saved. Only by being washed in the blood of Christ are our sins removed. And then those who are baptized, what happens? By baptism, their sins are removed by the blood of Christ and we're added to the body of Christ. That's the only way we are saved. No one physically can say, you know what, I'm going to save you today. No, they can't. Maybe they're willing to teach you the gospel, but the gospel is the one, as Apostle Paul, so Paul says, a power unto salvation, right? The gospel is the one that's doing the saving, not man. True rescue is only in Christ. True rescue. It's no secret if we turn our televisions on, we'll, because of some good brethren, we'll hear some good sound teaching. Because of some other, some other individuals, you will not. There are those who, on television today, thankfully in our area, who we can turn on, we'll hear sound things. There are also men who exist out there, and women, who will tell you things that will lead you down a path that does not lead to heaven. And you know, one of the things we find in ephesians and we find throughout the new testament throughout the bible in general is that we need to be those who are knowledgeable people we saw it back in hosea right my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge in new testament it's the same thing right we, what should we do we shouldn't be you know you no. Know, now we should be teachers you have to teach you again the basic principles of the world that's a condemnation He's saying you should know the word of god better than this now we are to constantly be knowledgeable people so that when we hear things that contradict we can say that's not right, I'm going to open my Bible up and see what the truth is. Because as we've seen here today from Ephesians chapter 2, how are we made alive is through the blood of Christ. Just as we talked about this morning, we are buried with Him in baptism. We are raised up in newness of life. Our sins have been washed away at baptism. And we become a new creation. We are again made alive in Him. No man can do that. Only the Son of God. This morning, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you in any way. You can come forward now. Let's go ahead and sing the song that's been selected. Bring Christ your broken life so long.